You're listening to Innovative Minds with Melanie Francis, where we talk to some of the top thought leaders, business leaders, and marketers around the globe. Tune in every Thursday and spark your mind. And now, let's get into it. I have a very special guest and I'm really excited to have my first female speaker on my podcast and I wanted to make it super special and it doesn't get more special than this to have the youngest journalist of the year with me who's been nominated and won multiple Walkley Awards. She has been published on the New York Times she has been published on the National Geographic magazine, ex-ABC, ex-SPS, and now at Google. She's one of the best storytellers that I've known. And it is with pleasure, it is my own sister, Majula Amon, here with me to talk to us about how to craft a story that gets picked up by media like the New York Times. The reason I really wanted to bring Majula on is because I want to learn her secrets, her tact, so we can actually apply it into the social media stream. So thanks so much for joining me, Majula. Thanks so much for the great intro and how funny to be being interviewed by my own sister. Um, You know, we're in very different worlds, but I think it's a great opportunity for us to come together and see if there's any middle ground. But I think I've always had the feeling that you know, everyone's got a story and telling a story well is kind of some of the things that can put you forward in life, no matter what industry you're in. So uh, very excited. Well, I just am super excited to pick your brains and really understand how you actually tell a story that gets picked up by such big media streams like the New York Times, like National Geographic. Like, you know, what is the crux of it? Because Once we can understand sort of what you do, I really think that, you know, the same structure can be applied in social media, in advertising, in so many streams, because I think the basic principle is often the same. So, you know, we've talked about this offline, so I'm super excited to get into it and talk about it here with a much more bigger audience listening to this. So I guess the first thing for me to understand from you, like, you know, what is that secret source as to why you get picked up? by such big media streams is it you know is it the headline that's the thing or is it something like images or is it like you know just your curiosity and passion for that subject like what do you think it takes the thing with storytelling is is that it's never gonna have a perfect formula right because that's why you're constantly needed to push the envelope of innovation that's why you know the person who wins the academy award for best film is constantly pushing it ahead and so I never want to kind of put out this is the perfect formula and if you follow this you're going to get the perfect story or hit Um, obviously it all kind of works together and that's why when I work with the best organizations I will obviously come up with the story it's my connection I've come up with it but there's a whole other team on the other side once I finish my story who then finesses it. So often I won't write my own headlines. <laughs> like someone else will come in there because they know the audience and they know what kind of sticks with them. The New York Times is going to write a very different headline to the ABC. The ABC one might be slightly bit more boring. The New York Times one might be a slightly bit more edgy because the audience sort of filters that way. But I think coming down to what it is, I think what makes my work definitely stick through with when I pitch it or when I do it is that intimacy I bring and the fact that I am a very good um, person who knows how to make a connection very quickly. And I think the audience, they like to be able to feel like a fly on the wall. Like they want to be able to know like, wow, it's like I'm there or this storyteller is bringing me so close to these people that I've never heard from before or bringing me to a place that I've never been. Like I think one of my breakthrough pieces of work was when I snuck into Nauru to work on the refugee detention centers there. And I don't really know what necessarily compelled me to do it, but it was probably the most compelling thing was that no one had seen the images that I took ever because no journalist had been allowed into Nauru for six years. So in that aspect, the story is good because no one else has it. Um, Often with other stories, you know, they've been told before in different ways. 
the story that I won my kind of three young Walkleys for was just about a caravan park in Western Sydney. And I remember I'd spent like the last year after COVID feeling like a total failure because I was like, oh my gosh, my great last story was the Maru one. Now I can't travel anywhere. I can't do anything. I haven't done anything good in so long. And that's just like part of being a creative. You always just, you're only as good as your last story is the saying that we use in journalism. Uh, And that's terrifying, right? And I think I just sat back and I was watching some films and I think I was watching Nomadland at the cinema, which won like the Academy Award a few years ago. And it was about these like old people who had lost their jobs in like Amazon factories and they were just like kind of, so they had lost their like more professional jobs and then to like survive, they were sort of like living in caravans and going from state to state in America, you know, going to these odd jobs. And it just inspired me. I was like, oh my, who are these nomadic people? Is that something that's happening in Australia? And then I just started researching caravan parks on Google and I came across one that was called like Fairfield West Caravan Park. Um, And, you know, I called them a few times and like both times they told me to F off, like three times they told me to go away. And then finally my editor was like, no, why don't you just rock up there? Like see what happens. And I'm thinking I'm going to get bashed up, but sometimes you just do things to get the story right. I rock up, it's still a no, but after 30 minutes I talk to them, I try and explain, you know, like I'm not like a normal journal, I'm not trying to do like a investigative piece that makes this look bad. I just want to get to know the humans in here because no one has ever done a story about you guys. And then from that conversation they let me do one walk around the park and I just started talking to people and then I just started coming back every night, you know, over the next four months. Not every night but like I would carve out maybe once, one or two days a week that I would just go hang out at the park because these people, they're in like forklift operator jobs. They're walking around, working around the clock. They're not like me and you. We're not, they're not nine to five. They're like seven to like 12 a.m. <laughs> so after that, after I put that dedication in, the story I got is very real. It's like as if I didn't always show them in the best way. I showed the truth, which is these were imperfect people who had made mistakes in life, but they were still trying to make it work. And I think what cuts through is that authenticity matched with everything else being brilliant. I'm a photojournalist, and so I spend a lot of time making sure that I get a beautiful shot, the lighting. But you can only get a beautiful shot when you feel like you're really close to the person that you're shooting. That's why sometimes you get the awkward, like, you know, corporate shot of someone just in an office. Like, I don't feel anything there. But what I feel is someone in their natural environment maybe doing something that they love. Like, If you're going to get the front cover of the AFR, like, trust me, they probably don't want you behind a desk in a really white, white room. They don't want this picture. They probably want, what's your passion or what, what kind of drives the business that you're doing? They're going to want some sort of environment. So there's obviously a lot of layers to what makes a good story. But I think first and foremost, it's that connection to the subject um, that no one else has been, had the time to forge. Two, it is everything being beautiful. The words, the way that you you tell the story, obviously the writing, Um, obviously the images that you get with it and then just like that general oomph factor is this a story that says something I could do the most most beautiful pictures of like an avocado farm right but unless I'm saying something more maybe I'm saying something about grit like what it takes to be a farmer or you know with my caravan stories I'll say something about inequality and housing there always needs to be a higher theme to get someone to connect to it so how do you and I'll just summarise for what I understood what it actually takes to craft an, an amazing story and a story that gets picked up by the likes of New York Times is A, innovation. It's something that can't be just a framework that's given. It's, a, it's constantly changing. The goalpost is constantly changing. So, so that's super important because next year, what you know what's going to be and what it's going to take to be picked up is going to change and that's the same in social media like just because two years ago hyperpersonal stories worked when we were posting on LinkedIn I'd go viral I'd get millions of views doesn't work anymore today so it's like an ever-changing field then you said curiosity was something else that was super important like you being very curious about the subject so you're actually saying you're passionate almost about it and you really want to learn more so it's your own intimacy with the topic and then presenting an authentic way and oomph about it 
And that's probably from your curiosity that you find it so authentic yourself. So it's probably your curiosity again. After you've kind of got that and that connection that you feel with it along with the curiosity part. So it's a lot of it it's saying is also what you feel to the story is how you can tell it. Then the next layer is creative writing, the dedication and the time to really go deep enough on the topic and then push images onto that could sort of all of those could lend itself to landing into media and into a way that you know it actually cuts through and resonates yeah and everyone's gonna have like a different method of doing it like I'm a bit of a weirdo in that I like to both be the photographer and the reporter that's not usually kind of a done thing some people just choose the one medium and that's their thing like if you want to be a podcaster maybe you just want to do audio storytelling like if you're a photographer you just want to do photos for me the only reason that I do so much is because I want more time and the way that you get more time is by delivering on more um, aspects so like the reason I made a podcast out of my caravan story because I wanted the extra two months on top and so for me it's a necessity because I am so curious and so dedicated to the story that I am always just wanting more time but at some point you have to realize like the reason you have to go for what you're actually interested in is that you lose like a spark if you're not like I'm not going to care about one particular topic for four months of my life and you really do need that passion also, the audience isn't dumb, like particularly when we're going to talk about how do people make themselves the story. Like if you're not interesting enough, like the audience will just see through you. Like it needs to be a story that really has elements. Like, you know, tomorrow maybe I'll meet like a cool person, but they're not necessarily going to be end up being a story unless there's several hooks that they can take me through. And we call it like chapters, right, turning points in a human being story that are dramatic enough to hold us. Like maybe now we were talking about it earlier, like, you know, we're both, you know, kids of migrant parents and now in this day and age, it's not enough to just be like, I'm a migrant, like, listen to me, right? Like what is actually our story? What makes it unique? One person might still have a brilliant story, but it's all about how we say it. So for me, I now know how to like hit the right tones. Like, yes, I'm a migrant, but I also grew up in an all white beach suburb. And that's very early that taught me how to be a chameleon. So that's an interesting story, right, versus just me like I'm a migrant, but what does that mean? Um, so I think there's a lot of tricks to that. There's still fundamentals. While everything needs to be innovated and changing, the fundamentals are still that you need a good, what we call in journalism, talent. Someone who knows how to talk and someone knows how to talk honestly and not with a fake tone. It's actually extremely hard to find and we'll always pre-interview anyone who goes into any of our stories to test what they're like, to see if we like them or if we don't like them, but they seem truthful. Um, so that's just, you know, there's fundamentals to it, but there's no set formula, I would say. When you were working back in ABC days and you were within the social media domain, you were moving from journalism, I think, from SBS and telling stories into a new space in social media and what was, you know, what was your biggest learns, you know, what was the biggest learns in moving from a journalism into social media that you still, you know, recall and, re- you know, you think would be worthwhile sharing those learns that are like really, you know, still at the top of your mind? I remember that I wanted to make a jump to a different organisation and the ABC I interviewed for them in a different role. Um, and I remember the manager called me and he's like, look, I don't have that role available because we've got some senior person coming in, but... I still want you part of the team. So what about this social media thing? And I remember I came to you and I was like, oh my gosh, what the hell? Like, I am a journalist. Why the hell would I do this social media job? And I think you were kind of like, yeah, but you have to think about what you gain from each role. You know, journalism and social media back at that time was still just considered like two completely different worlds. And when I came into the role, I was the one who had to come up with the whole strategy. Like it was very at the basic level and there was so much groundwork to lay and so many people with so much distrust of like that's not news like why would we even do that like and obviously what we know now is that social media is where the audience is and so if we're not targeting that we're missing out on a whole bunch of new audience and obviously every goal is to grow and continue to be successful and so when I came into that role I think I came in with a bit of like oh god like what the hell am I doing necessarily But the gains that I made is that I now fully know how to do multi-platform storytelling or I'm even aware of what that is. You know, news necessarily isn't just an article that goes up online or, you know, whatever, a digital sort of article 
or it's not like a broadcast piece on TV or radio. Like it, I think what the takeaway was that that online audience, they want bite-sized information pieces that are still well-produced. And, you know, as people's kind of like attention spans get smaller and smaller, that's what actually, it's actually really hard to get across the message that you're trying to say in a really succinct way without losing a bit of like the credibility, right? Somewhere like the New York Times does it well, like you can see it in their Instagram stories, like they still only want like a few lines of what they're trying to say over maybe like five slides, but then they'll put a lot of work into designing the slides. So things still need to be visual and beautiful, but it needs to be in a way that the person who's reading it gets it really fast. Like they don't have time to scroll and read the whole article. So what store, what pictures are you going to show me that sums up maybe three paragraphs? Like maybe we want to show the emotion so we don't have to go into, you know, Cheryl looks quite, um, is upset over this bill. In an article, if you didn't have a photo, you'd have to write three more paragraphs. You know, how distraught is she? What time of day is it? Like, where is she? What environment is she in? With a photo, maybe Cheryl's on a farm somewhere and she's sitting in like a desert um, and she's bawling her eyes out. Already you have so much information about what type of person Cheryl is. And so I think that role really showed me just like the different audience appetite there and how to do it. The problem, what I found as I was doing the strategy, I was hitting real goals But what I found is that my team was just posting like bird videos all the time, like animal videos, because that was getting the highest engagement. And then I had to reconsider what is the aim of success here? Do I just want hits on bird videos or do I need to start doing experiments to like get, you know, news topics in a social arena? And so what I started doing is we had a political election come up and I was like, well, we clearly have an audience on social that we haven't tapped into because everyone hates politics there. And so I I was like, why don't we bring the politicians in and do like a video series where we just ask them like questions that they wouldn't be asked in a normal interview. Like, you know, what's your favorite color? What do you like to do? Um, Obviously at the ABC, we have to balance that we're not giving anyone like particular um, positivity or like we had to balance. And so I had to interview all the politicians and edit it together in like a way that gave everyone that space. But it was just trying to come up with ideas where you're not just posting things that are going to get you the most hit, but that it fits with the brand. And so much of the conversation was starting with like, what's our brand? We don't want to look too cheap. We don't want to make these people upset. So it also just probably showed me diplomacy skills of how do you keep everyone happy? And the answer is you don't, because there's always going to be old people who don't get it. And they're not the ones I'm trying to reach, but they will respect you if you're able to explain yourself with data. Like I would always be looking at data. This is how the engagement worked. This is like maybe didn't work as well, but we can see if we posted it twice, that engagement rose in this area. Or I would be like, well, we're not trying to reach the same white audience. Maybe we're trying to reach these, um, you know, Indian Australian audience. And so there's always data and markers of success that you have to go into when you're trying something new, which everyone else just thinks is weird. Um, But yeah. Why do you think social is such a big area? Well, I really enjoyed what you said because I really struggle also with you know do you go in with what's going to get you the views or do you go in with what's going to really I think cut through for your audience so you might not get the views but you might actually you might actually get something that really resonates with a very niche audience and it's actually going to end up bringing you in sales you know, but you might not get the views. So what I what I wanted to kind of share with you was it's really cool how even the ABC, you know, when you're working with them, they're challenged with the same thing. My audience and my clients are also challenged with, which is do you go for the views? And that was so interesting. Like, you know, the birds are doing so well, or do you go with something that is actually on brand and is actually going to resonate with an audience? And we struggle with that so much. So back sort of three years ago when I started my LinkedIn journey, what I was getting like the million views for was just sharing my journey about how much I struggled in my corporate life and, you know, that really cut through and I'd be like, you know, this was, you know, inside of me, like I had a really bad boss and, you know, I was just going viral on it. That didn't actually mean that I was bringing in business, but what I was able to show was, oh my God, I'm getting these views. So like the bird videos, I was able to utilize a story that was really resonating with a audience that was struggling with also their corporate job. However, my audience was actually people that had already left corporate life a long time ago. 
they get that, but they're now actually wanting to build relationships with people that were credible, that really understood maybe marketing, or they really understood software development, or they understood B2B SaaS, and they want to engage and learn from that kind of expertise or experience. So just because I'm telling this story, I'm going viral amongst the 99% on of the world who are you know, employed and who are unhappy potentially in their corporate job and they're going viral for me, but that's not the people I need to be, you know, it's a ripple on effect. Of course, other people see your post, but that just explains your bird view. Like, do you go for, because you're going viral or do you really go for something that's going to cut through with an audience because you have a goal, you have an objective, you want to network with a specific thing. So I really loved what you shared because it really resonates with me because I've moved away from going viral and getting views into making sure that I'm actually adding value to a very niche audience. And that's when I think you're really going to move the needle in terms of business or anything, any kind of goals that you are doing, because you get away from these vanity metrics that we're all ridden by. Exactly. And it's going to be different in every industry. For example, like now after what, six years in the game, I'm getting approached by so many big brands, like big multinational companies. And I really have to think about who I sign on with. Like I can't necessarily go do work with someone who is paying me like, you know, a million dollars, but then is totally against the values that I've been talking about. Like, can I really go for a company that's going to put, you know, 500 people into poverty tomorrow? I don't know, you know, and those decisions are really hard because we all want to be successful and make money and make a living. And I think, but then I think what we've seen from the people who have made it and cut through sometimes, you know, it's a long run game or it's a long game that you need to figure out what exactly is your brand and then figure out how to hit that spot really well. And sometimes that takes years to build rather than just going for the cheap hits, which is the birds, you know, whatever we're going to call the birds. But some people, the birds work and that's their brand and they don't care. But like, you know, not all of us can be like a lad Bible, right? Like not everyone's going for that. We're trying to get some sort of like, you know, superpower Oprah thing going on and like it's very hard and I'm still figuring it out myself. But I think it really does come down to, you know, being able to be an expert at the story and then really know how to build a team and like innovation around that. And, you know, it's obviously not a perfect formula, but hopefully I, th- I feel like there's something there, but I feel like I'm not explaining myself well. Well, no, I think the takeaway is don't do the bird videos, you know. I think that's the thing. Don't go for the birds. <laughs> so, But they love the bird videos. Australians love bird videos. <laughs> this whole like, in, like there's 30 bird groups and that was really hard. When I started doing really well, I got like an assistant and they were like, you know, but the bird videos got going well. That's our bread and butter. And I was like, yeah, but I don't want to do that anymore because I don't, it, it kills me inside that that's what we're doing. And like, it's really hard. Like you have to also like the reason you need to know your brand so well is because if you make it big, you're going to have to train others. And that's the most difficult thing, figuring out what your brand is or what your company's brand is and then communicating it to others. I remember I had an intern come onto my team and I, you know, left at the end of the day on on time and I was like, look, you know, you just stay back 30 minutes and you end up uploading like a koala, like a dead koala onto the page. And that was an emergency. You know, I had to come in and be like, no, that's not appropriate. We need to like take it off right now. And like, maybe he didn't know, you know, maybe he thought, oh, I thought this is about an issues page. And it's like, yes, but you don't know the audience. Like this, this isn't appropriate for the audience. This isn't an edgy Peter audience they're going to like come in and put complaints in because this is not PG, you know, funny. I love your obsession with audience. And that's something that, you know, I feel that I love obsessing over with anyone that comes into contact with are you B2B and my company, because I think the first thing I obsess over is how well do you know your audience and how close are you? And going back to your caravan story, you became very close to that story and who they are. And then you're probably like, okay, who is my audience that's going to really resonate with this? And I think before doing any kind of story or anything, you really, it sounds like you need to be really understanding who is it that you want to resonate with before you go and upload a koala, you know, into your platform and your media. Yeah, it depends on the storytelling. For me, I think sometimes I'm so obsessed with something that I, you you know, I never do a story. I have to prove to several people that it's a worthwhile story. You can't just be a journalist and then like publish on your Twitter or something, you know? So usually if I come up with an idea, I'm usually passionate about it. And then what we do in journalism is we come up with a top line. What like, 
what the story is summed up into one sentence and then your editor needs to think it's hot shit. And if he doesn't, like, he can kill it, you know, or they can kill it. And so you're sort of, you are sort of playing that sort of game of like, okay, how would I package this story to make it sell to the editor? But they, you never actually know how a story is going to end up, right? All you got to do is give it time or convince someone that it's worth more time. Um, so I don't, I'm not usually thinking about my audience in terms of, are they going to like this story? But what I knew about my audience is that people want beautiful, visual, deep work. They want a good feature that takes them into a human being's life. And they're not getting it from the everyday stories about like gun violence or whatever, you know, in Western Sydney, or there's a shooting here. Some people just want in their day to see another person's life in great detail. So that's what, that was all that I was thinking about audience, nothing too deep. I like that because... You see, one thing that's really difficult, and I don't know if you experience the pressure, companies have really, the, the pressure to constantly produce stories at such volumes on social media consistently is a really, really hard deal because you're talking about quality and, you know, really putting out quality stories. But social media, the way these platforms work is they kind of give you these metrics that you have to keep up with the Joneses, which is impressions and views and you know, what did you do last month? So you have this huge pressure to constantly produce content. And, you know, the companies that are trying to also keep up and trying to become media companies within, they're not a media company, but they have to produce because they feel like they need to keep up and put it, put out. It's really difficult for them to keep telling quality stories every day with the pressure of LinkedIn, Instagram, all of them demanding, like produce more and more and more volume because that's how these actual platforms make money because they can say more people spent time more people are posting content and that's how their valuation goes up right so I don't actually know like a company that's like being able to have a great and like organic Instagram page like it's all real people right but they're not actually like influencers aren't actually real people on the thing like they just make you feel like it's real like oh I'm watching a story and you're an Ibiza and like I you know wow like that's what they're doing it's probably but like that's all part of the brand that they have there but it's weird how like companies like something like google i don't go onto their page and i'm like oh how cool let me check what their instagram is and what they're doing like i never do that with most companies but with people and that's why you get these like brand ambassadors and companies actually paying these real people to like have an experience with their product and i think i mean that's why i can't even keep up myself in that like i'm lucky that i'm sort of a photographer and so i can upload good images but i don't have like a good image every single day um so I feel like that's what the hard part is, is that constant need for content. I don't know. Like, what, do, is that what the audience wants? Like, do they want something daily as soon as they open up their thing? Because it's just so much pressure to, like, put out something good every freaking single day. And I I actually don't believe in that type of storytelling. Like, I just want time for mine. But I obviously have that luxury because I'm not technically working in the social space anymore. The pressure to actually consistently produce content is really difficult for companies, um, it's it's really difficult to go and have that high value content constantly produced that we were talking about, and without even a media team inside and small resources, how do they you know continually produce this high value content that really cuts through? Because it gets kind of diluted when you have to produce at least one piece of content every day. I think that's like a really good. Um that's a really good take on it because I think I never really realized like I'm way for me way more forgiving on social media like if I go on some someone's TikTok and like maybe I see three funny videos but the other five are shit I'm actually just gonna be like oh well whatever they're like trying their best the other three were like really really funny and so I'll keep watching whereas if I got a journal and I'm reading their piece and like only two things they've created in the last year are good I like I, I mean like I just care about what like the award-winning piece, like people still email me today about my caravan piece, which I did like in 2021 and that's what I'm known for. But like I don't know, it's just so hard how the different audiences and like sectors work. Like I can sort of stand on this award and this one piece of work from like freaking a year ago, whereas TikTok and like things like Instagram, I don't know. Like I I don't think I, I really remember what they did last year. I just think about the last funny thing they did and maybe so content does win sometimes over quality but I still think there needs to be a base level of like them doing that brand thing where I'm like okay go to their page and I can get what I was expecting and it doesn't have to be like the most brilliant thing I ever see but like you know I'm following this chick on TikTok at the moment and she's like a lawyer in New York who used to post a lot about you know 
what her life was like on this 300k a year job and then like over the course of it she's like leaving behind her her job and like sometimes they're really annoying videos I'm like I don't want to know you know what you're wearing to yoga but then sometimes she'll do a really good video about like the decisions she has to make or what the lifestyle actually means and I'm like oh okay no this is what I watch it for so I don't know like why why we are so much more like forgiving on social well I guess social still a new media channel so it it's still developing in terms of when you look at the norm of news against social you know so I guess it's probably evolvement as to where we will expect more from it as it evolves in the next hundred years where we only expect you know, this quality and it will find its own kind of way. But because it's so fast, I guess it's you can be easily forgiven because the story is there for, you know, a second and then it's gone from your newsfeed forever unless you go search for it. So I guess you can be forgiven more quickly. Um, whereas someone for a journal piece actually has come to that piece to actually expect something and expects to be delivered, whereas in social you're just kind of seeing it for five seconds. So it's kind of like a goldfish memory kind of experience. I, I want to talk about with you something that's really close to my heart and you've kind of touched on is the human element of a story. And I really, you know, that really resonates for me that I think what people want and they desire is human part of a story where they can actually connect to a soul. And I think you and I were talking uh, a few months ago and I said that's, I really resonate with that part of telling a human story because one thing we love doing is actually telling the human story of a brand and that's usually in the heart of the CEO and you kind of went well what what does it what does that really matter you know like I don't really give a shit but then we kind of talked about it you know in more detail and we had a really great discussion which was well you do kind of give a shit about it because that's the story you're always looking for. And I think in brands, they find it really difficult to put out content that cuts through. And we've discussed that content that cuts through is a human element story. And what brands are failing to sometimes realize is they've got these enormously cool stories that live within the human. Particularly, I think the biggest story is the CEO story that lives without in a organization, especially younger organizations will still have the creator inside of it and what he's thinking and what he's been through, he's probably got enormous amount of struggle stories to get a brand to where it is. Like to even build a business to a successful level takes huge amounts of perseverance, takes huge amount of stress, um, triumphs, you know, just probably like so much as to why that person was able. Yeah, but like why do people care about that story? Like I've heard that story a million times. Because every story is unique. Every story is unique of that person. But is it? I think what like the reason that I was kind of like, why do I give a shit? And maybe I've changed a little on this, but like in terms of like I think CEOs and businesses generally, they have like a bigger battle with the audience because anytime someone hears a CEO, it comes with this bias of like they're a rich millionaire. Like who cares? Do you know what I mean? So I think that's the combat. And sometimes maybe it's not the CEO stories that actually cut cuts through like you get someone like Steve Jobs and yes the journey hits because the products are so incredible and he was at the cusp of innovation when everyone else was trying to tear him down etc at the same time it's like sometimes instead of putting the CEO in your advertisement and having people's eyes glaze over you like figure out what your product actually does that changes someone's life and then it's like a feel-good sort of thing or maybe the company has like a bit of humor I think both can be used in combination because I think where it's really interesting is, do you know who the who the CEO of Samsung is? Yeah, no, I don't. But I like their TVs. Yeah, but when I look at Apple and I'm using this phone, I actually do think about Steve Jobs at times. You know, I do think, I do think I have a more of a personal connection to Apple than, and I think I have more loyalty, to be honest with you, to Apple than I do to Samsung. If a better TV came out tomorrow, I do not feel, I don't even know who the person is behind Samsung, nor do I care. I will swap like that. If Apple came out with a TV, I think there is Apple. If they had a better TV, the same, 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 I think I'd be more compelled because I feel still this connection that I've been able to build, not just on a brand level, but also on a personal level. Um, That kind of, and I think it's subconscious. I don't sit there and honestly 
go, oh my God, I am, you know, all about Steve Jobs, but I can't stop to not bring his name to my mouth when I actually think about Apple. Like it's like I know mm. that there's this some level of personal connection and I think it's more it's more subconscious than we realise. I think like it's hard with Apple is because, you know, their products have been so long and been so crucial particularly to this generation. Like I remember my first iPod, you know, getting that and then listening to it on my 45-minute commute to the selective school that mum and dad sent me to. You know what I mean? Like there are so many memories with that and, it, that you know, they were good quality products that really hold the test of time. So, you know, while it's it's part of it is Steve Jobs and like the wow factor of Apple, a lot of it also comes down to how good the product is and that's always going to be a symbiosis. Well, I actually really hated Apple. I don't know if you remember, but when we were like, you must have been really young, but I we got our first Macintosh, I think when I was like 11 years old in Newcastle or something like that. And it was this huge, you know, it was one of the first MacBooks ever and, um, you know, Nuffy's uncle gave it to mum and dad who gave it to me. Yeah, and it was like this massive machine and I was like trying to type on it and I was like, oh, my God, like it was like it was so hard to use, honestly. And to be honest with you, watching someone recently, like, you know, a friend of mine move from Windows to Mac and the difficulties of knowing that it's a three-swipe thing and, you know, and all that special techniques, like you might think it's really easy. It's actually a really difficult product to actually adopt onto being any Windows user or even like the first time I saw its product, it was actually really difficult. But I know that some of those people in their subconscious mind, they go, well, at least I'm using, you know, the brand that A, appeals to me on a personal level because A, they're entrepreneurial or they really like the story. It adds a special layer to it that actually hits you persevering sometimes and of course the product has to be good it can't just be oh the ceo tells a story but i do think that adding a layer of emotion and a human connection it just kind of brings you closer that one touch point closer to the brand than you otherwise would have i think you have a point because like look at the latest string of like what's happening on like netflix right like we've got recrashed which is a story about we work and like how that found i was able to just like raise billions with not much on paper right but like he'd obviously like proved the business point before but he was so charming with these investors same with like Elizabeth I can't remember her name but you know the person who was behind Theranos she admired Steve Jobs to the point that she would wear the turtlenecks that he would wear and her whole product was fake but she would go on and kind of really have this story of like my uncle died and I wanted to create this product so someone like him, we don't have to lose him too early. She wasn't even close with her uncle. She didn't even talk to him that much. But she was able to weave the story and so we've obviously seen it be successful. But I think the trick is is whether you come across as authentic and it's not just some story that you've gotten off the coat hanger. There needs to be elements that really set you apart or are fit with your values or you know, well, you know, maybe Paris Hilton doesn't have a Barack Obama sense of integrity, but her brand is like fun and like, fuck it, I say what I want to say. And people relate to that, you know, someone like me not might not be up to that. But a lot of people, for example, love the Kardashians because maybe their value set fits with them. Other people are like, no, hell no. I only want to listen to like smart people in tech. So I think it's such a difficult thing to build your brand and your story, but I think it does start with figuring out what your values are. Obviously for Steve's jobs, it was always, I need to get to this next level, no matter what it takes. Doesn't even care if his family hates him. Like he really is at the edge of innovation. Yeah. I think combining your product and your stories is really something that is going to be the new media way of doing things and we'll see brands that are more innovative making sure that they are I know like right now the way that brands are thinking about themselves they really see an opportunity to finally be a a media mogul you know this is the new era where media can be with anybody it's not with anymore that everyone's reading New York Times like we can also be posting stories just like New York Times like this is a whole new era where we feel that media could be within your company today and you could be your own media company. And I actually recently wrote about this, which really resonated and cut through for a lot of people that, you know what, like back in the day, we used to have to pay TV to be on media, right? We had to go pay these really big hefty prices to be on media. But there's this new thing called social media, which is, you know, taking more and more attention of 
what we used to do on this new media of Spotify podcast where you can actually go and Yeah, listen. but I think there's a danger to that. Businesses aren't journalism companies. You know, they can go and write their little piece and like obviously they can twist the facts as they please. They're, they're the media company. They can be Rupert Murdoch if they want to be. You know what I mean? And I think that's what is a little bit terrifying for traditional media because we've built our brands on trust and facts. And so I don't know which way the audience is going to go if they're not going to care because obviously misinformation is right. But then the more that people take this onto themselves, I think it's one, it's great because you know, then you don't have to like sit there waiting for traditional media to pick you up. Like I remember when you were starting your brand. Yeah, it's just like, oh, who, who wants to hear this story about this great business? Like to have it fit into traditional media is really hard. In the same token, having all their companies like do their own things off media, pay the ads that they need to, it does create like an unbalanced thing. And then it's still going to come down to who has the most money. Who has the most Facebook ad like revenue? And then then it's hard. Is it really then helping like small businesses or, you know, what are those things that are going to happen? So I don't know what side I'm on. I still really believe in traditional media because I really do think we need somewhere for truth and facts and like non-biased reporting. But I also don't know how we would stop it. Like it's definitely going to happen, right? But you know what? I I mean, yeah, it's definitely going to happen. But I think that the reason I do want balance from my side is the censorship that we've got in media. And, you know, there is real censorship in terms of Google. And I think that, A, to be reliant on the fact that the media think you're good enough to pick up a story while you're waiting for that, that your story is going to get picked up. Like why wait when you can actually produce and put your story out and you can actually get it to resonate if you know some of the mechanisms of how to get resonate. Because it's, BS that I have to wait that my future is in the hand of if someone decides to pick me up or not. It's sort of been too imbalanced for too long and I think now is the first time maybe some of the companies can take control but I also think there's got to be a balance. Like you're right, if people just start telling bullshit stories, we've got this unauthentic, you know, regime which they don't have any kind of, you know, policies governing them if they do anything wrong they can just say anything and do anything so there is that danger but there's also been an imbalance of what story gets told because it resonates with that particular journalist because they think that's going to be the that's true I think the hard thing at this point in time and let's see where it goes like what you were saying is like I think like building your brand right now is that's the great way like surpass the media get your story out there and then you have this brand and then often when you open a product from that brand, like whatever, Kylie Kardashian now selling makeup, it goes bonkers, right? What's hard is like putting, like going and then like translating that to business. Like, you know, you can definitely go viral for your brand, but how do you go viral for your business? Obviously it still comes down to this product doing well, but you know, I've seen like the weirdest products with the kind of millennial type of advertising, like things that like wash your face off without water and they've got like some like cool millennial like trying it out. I feel like I'm really seeing companies try a lot of different things and like some of them hit, some of them don't. I'm really interested to see where they go but I think what's always a struggle for advertising is to feel like you're not selling me something and obviously I think that's going to come from brand partnerships. Like if I see an influencer wearing that particular brand of like Gucci shoes, I'm kind of like, oh, cool, like a, a normal person who's chic, is wearing it and it's like that's the way that you get me now as opposed to like when I see an ad like I'm kind of like yeah I don't know if you still feel nothing so we'll see how it goes I know I know and that's why I am pushing your influences in b2b marketing particularly more than b2c is actually within your company which is the difference between when you're selling business to consumer yeah everyone wants to see this you know fake person maybe wearing it but more and more we want more authenticity and the authenticity is sometimes within the CEO sometimes it's within some people in your company maybe it's not the CEO maybe it's just a junior person that's really passionate about your shoes or is really passionate about the business you're doing totally I feel like this the CEO really works when they really are part of the business like I don't think I'm going to connect with someone who just sits at the top and like looks at how much tax they can save I go and get my nails done I recently found this chick who's like this Polish older women at this nail salon, like a secret nail salon in Sydney. She charges so much money. But what I like is that for 20 years, she is the one who goes down on her feet and then does my nails. And like, I somehow respect that sort of 
craftsmanship and dedication to her business with her name on it like she obviously has a team but she still does it so when I don't know just like obviously that's a very small scale but even that sort of sense of like if the CEO is doing the research if the CEO is then I kind of care more otherwise someone like the NRMA for example great branding they will use that sort of Aussie bloke that comes and helps you when your car breaks down in their advertising to take you back to that memory of like oh yeah they were quite nice weren't they they're not using their CEO ever they're using the experience of their company as this sort of like blokey guy who's really helpful, comes through and is like, oh, don't worry about it. Like, we'll get you back on the road soon, mate. Like, I love that, right? And that like hits me because I'm like, oh, I feel like that's like an Australian mateship. I'm going to use NRMA. <laughs> but but they're using influencer marketing and really resonating with you on the someone that works in their company potentially. I mean, it would be way more authentic. It's the human element again. And you know, if you can't afford those kind of actors and everything, the best way to start is to get your employees to be going and doing videos like that on TikTok. Or think of a human moment, right? Like we're seeing those guys, who are those funny, those two funny guys that just do um, everyday things, right? Like even if you don't have the big budget, sometimes you can have like the smallest budget, but you can think of a really human scenario. Like maybe someone sits super close to you on the on the train, like try and what, and definitely I come down to like the way to figure out a story is you do a really good interview. And the reason that you do a really good interview, whether it's for someone who's using your product or an everyday person, you want to figure out the moments in their day that causes them the most pain or the most emotional shock or happiness, right? You can go either way. What's the thing that's like, I all, I'm always calling up people to be like, yeah, but what's your most annoying gripe in your job when I'm looking for story ideas? Or I'm thinking about what was your happiest moment? Or what was your most terrifying moment in life? You want to figure out these plot points in a human being's life. That's how I would do a story. But I think for a business, that could give you ideas around how you would do a human moment story, right? Like, I don't know, maybe, you, maybe you're selling, you, you see it with soap and stuff. Maybe like someone's got shit hair and they, you know, they obviously, when they try like a really good shampoo, it's like luscious hair. And then they go on, on that date and they feel hot. Like that's the whole story, you know what I mean? And if you did that well, maybe that's how you sell a product. Whereas if you just show me like a fancy bottle or something, like do I feel like the human moment? No, but if you relate it to maybe maybe trying to find love, yeah, maybe that's going to hit more. So I think it all still comes down to story. What's the kind of questions then do you seem like, you know, that you could come and lean on to find and reveal some of those amazing stories maybe in businesses or in any story really what are common questions that you kind of you know ask at the beginning of the layer when you're trying to get out a story obviously you I just do my research every time before I have an interview I don't go in like blind but I would obviously have like a couple of questions that anyone can answer like you know tell me a bit about yourself you know how'd you grow up and like why and then maybe they did something else it's like you know why'd you swap from this to this like what was what was the day, what you were doing the moment that you found out or like did it take you a couple of years and what was that journey? But like that's kind of how I'd figure it out. I'd figure out like do my research, figure out what their journey was, maybe where they were born, you know, figure out if there was a turning point somewhere. Whatever I can read I soak up and then I write the questions based on trying to figure out chronologically what happened in their life. But then I always want in an interview to find out what they haven't said before. Um, sometimes that's really hard to break because they will have practiced answers that their company has given them or whatever. I'm like, you know what? No. Like, so I ask things in different ways or try and get them off guard or ask in a different way. So like, you know, someone would be like, I was, I won't say the politician's name, but I was trying to interview him and he was like, oh, I love a barbecue. And I was like, yeah, but could you give me more? Like, what do you do on a Sunday at 3 PM? Like maybe you're not doing a barbecue. And then it's like, oh, okay, I do this with my, my kids. Like you, you just have to try and get them to really explain what they do in their life from beginning to end so my questions when I'm trying to plan a shoot would be like yeah so what do you like just take me through your day tell me take me through your normal day like what time do you wake up what do you have for breakfast you know do any of your kids give you grief about a particular thing like it's very minuscule questions but I want to tap out what this human being is over 24 hours or over the course of a week um, you know, I'm sure when someone was interviewing Barack Obama, you know, he probably gave the answer of like, yeah, at 6 p.m. I eat the six almonds in the White House. That would have been such a great get for the story because it really humanizes him. And, you know, only one interviewer got that because maybe they asked, what do you do at 6 p.m. at the White House? You know what I mean? So um, I, every, every person has different questions, but I try and plan out the things that would give me a particular story. I want to figure out what drives them all the time and I want to figure out what scares them. 
Um, because that's those already given me like two plot lines that I can go with. You've got the good side, but everyone always wants to know the thing that scares you or the bad side of things too. Because that's a human being, right? Not everything's going to be dandy. I want to know what your challenges are. Otherwise, I'm not going to connect with you. Because no one want, no one, no one like is going to be happy about the person who's got the perfect life. We want to have some semblance of human um, in it. And so that's kind of how I write my questions to really figure out who someone is. Yeah, they, they're amazing questions and we'll definitely be summarising them because that's really interesting to hear and how you think about it chronologically because if you can get sort of the questions right, I think you can get the story crafted really well. I think that's the really secret behind, you know, crafting an amazing story is the interviewer and how much research they do on you, how much they spend really being curious about you and then being able to pitch questions to you that you've never said before. And that means they've researched you to see, you know, where are the gaps potentially in your chronological. Mm. And that creates report, right? Like rapport is so important in an interview. Like if if they sense that you've done their homework, everyone loves to be flattered. They love to be like, wow, this person actually like gave a shit about me to do a bit of research. And then you always need to stay on, on that on that positive sort of like smart way. Like you're not going to be kissing their ass, but you're going to like like them enough like as if you're a charming person who's like, yeah, I like you. So that's why I'm going to ask you the hard questions. But some people will just take time. Like with the caravan story, I was interviewing this guy for three months and something inside me told me that he wasn't telling me the full story. But it took him three months to admit to me that he had a secret five-year-old son that lived with someone else. And his actual life dream was to be reconnected with that son, right? And so that still took me three months of being around, like talking about other stuff to get there. So I think that's why journalists can get certain stories because we can put a lot more time in it. Um, And, you know, I think for businesses, if you are starting trying to do a human element story, you really just want to like be able to do the time. I get so many calls where it's like, oh, tomorrow we need to put out this thing or like next week we're trying to do it. Well, yeah, okay, but that could work. But sometimes it's going to be better maybe if you like plan it out a few months ahead and see if anything organic is coming up. Um, So anyways, that's my two cents. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing so much insights. I think I got so much out of that. I've gotten so much insights on questions and how you kind of think about it and all the elements that it really takes to get picked up and really cut through. So thank you so much for sharing and coming on and being my first female guest. Um, and oh my I really- gosh, first female guest. Do you still believe that every CEO has a story? Oh, absolutely. I think it's not just every CEO. I think it's every human has a story within an organisation that can cut through. And I think influencer marketing can go outside of just, you know, using actors. I think there is real stories within your organisations that need to be told authentically more and more because people hate fake yeah, and I feel like something like Humans of New York, like some guys just going around a park interviewing all these people. Clearly everyone has a story. It's just whether you can coax it out and, you know, say it for the right audience. You know, Elon Musk is out here saying that he's smoking weed. He's like clearly lost a lot of audience on that one side and then gained gained on others. And so I think it's a risk profile about what you want to stand for um, and moving forward. But no, thank you for having me. It's been a re- really fun um, chat and I hope you guys got something out of it. I'm sure they did. I'm excited to put it out. You're listening to Innovative Minds with Melanie Francis. Tune in every Thursday and spark your mind.